Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I know you're enjoying listening to these lectures by podcast, but how about trying to join us in person? Right now, all of the lectures take place live on Zoom. And the next one's going to be Wednesday, January 19th at 8 p.m. And the topic is, how do I know if I'm attracted? I'm going to put the link to sign up for free in the show notes here. So just click on the link, sign up, and I'd love to see you and interact with you and uh, have a chance to meet you. Have a great day and enjoy the recording. So tonight we're going to start with uh, pulling out some questions. As uh, just kind of get our wheels turning, we're talking about relationships. We're talking about who needs love anyway. So our first question is honesty. Pros and cons of this, no strings attached, friends with benefits, livelihood. Okay. So, what's the question? <laughs> that not necessarily was a question. I'm going to take the main gist of this question honesty, pros or cons. So, here's a story with honesty in a relationship. A lot of people ask me, how honest should I be? What is the proper system through which I can be honest or not honest in my relationship. First of all, you should always be honest in your relationship. Being honest doesn't necessarily mean you have to disclose everything all the time, which means you don't have to come out in the first date and say everything, put it on the table, these are all my sins, these are all my good virtues, and happy birthday, everyone. So honesty is very important but you don't have to say everything. And there's a process through which you say things a certain time and then you have to kind of, now what is that process? I'd be very happy at some point to to do a full session just on honesty in the process. And in that process we can talk about enmeshment as well. I think it's a very important element of honesty where people try to um, enmesh their relationships. What happens is by getting too intense too quickly, the relationship becomes a little bit convoluted. So um, it's common, I'm, obviously I always say this, I will generalize tonight for the sake of everyone here, but you should know that every single person is unique and individual and generalizations are only generalizations. So if you don't fall under that generalization, don't take it personally but men generally will go much quicker than women in a relationship. The reason why is because men know quicker than women, whether, they know, whether they're like, women take more time. And that's a big issue and happens often where a woman is like, well, give me my time. You know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not rushing. Now I know in the movies, it's the opposite, but actually in real life, at least in, the hundreds of relationships that I have lived vicariously through. Um, it's usually the men, generally, who are going much quicker than the women. You can fight me on it. But then when we listen to the women later and then... Tell me. I think it goes both ways. It depends on the individual. Tell me, tell me, for example... Well, if you're not ready to settle, you're, 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 you're not really going to open up. I must be dating some, like, dodgy people, and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you need something. 
fascinating. I, I find that I make up my mind very quickly, and the people that I date, it's quite the opposite. Fascinating. I think it's a mixture thereof. I've seen both sides of it. I make up my mind very quickly. How quickly is, is quickly? Can I? So can, can Three I, hours. If, 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 if you'll be honest. the end of the first cup of coffee? <laughs> What if you'll be honest with me, um, oh, okay. Hot, oh, okay. <laughs> wait for the name to be called Starbucks. <laughs> Can you give me a scenario? So what happened? Just give me a, a random scenario. Okay, a random anonymous scenario. Yes. Um, the last person that I dated, I knew how I felt, and five months in, he was like surprised that he was in a relationship. And he said that he needed time to think about it and disappeared for 10 days. So I just have, I have I, so can I ask you a couple questions? I want to ask you a couple questions. What, what, happens, what happened for five months? How did you get to five months without well, realizing that? I was like away for five weeks in Israel, so subtract that. And then so that's four months. So then it was just a lot of, you know, like, where is this going? Well, I, I maybe only asked that once or twice. And I got very, like, vague. I'm enjoying what this is responses. And then, like, one day it just kind of, I think it was, like, Exploded. It's very interesting. Yeah. All right, are we on the thing? Are we recording? We, we, we can take Maybe it off. Stop it, yeah, just because I don't okay. <clears throat> There's really no incentive today for people to get married. There's no incentive to commit. Now, it's not my business, your choices, and how you live your life. Your life is your choice. But I can tell you that some of the choices that we make in our lives lead to the fact that we're having a difficult time making commitments. Now, that coupled with all the drama and the childhood issues and the uh, past relationships and the drama of those relationships and the fact that we're scarred and the fact that our fathers weren't around as much as we wanted them to or our mothers weren't around as much as we wanted them to or we don't have good role models for relationships. So let's say our parents are divorced or our parents had bad relationship. They're not good role models for us. So all that together and let's add the movies in, why not? The romantic comedies that probably, for most of us, are, our, are between that and the magazines, that's what we know about relationships. So all that together is creating a little bit of a convolution of what's actually fact and fiction. And we have no idea. The truth is, I'll throw it out there right now. We don't know what we want. Forget about not knowing what you want. That's, that's true to a certain extent. No, there, let's say you know what you want. Why bother? Who cares? I don't think that's the issue. The issue, no. I think, is more of everyone's reading for the next best thing. No one's happy with what they have. Yeah, that's so, no, so, Swipe right so, for the next one. Swipe right for the next one. So that's the easy, right? One. Because with online dating, that's swipe, Tinder, swipe, Tinder swipe, has swipe. destroyed it all, right? There's something... <laughs> I, I get it all the time. I'll set somebody up, and they're like, anything else? Yeah. I'm like, are you serious? So I think, I think there's a couple of issues. I think there's the issue of like instant gratification, and I think there's a secondary issue that you touched on before about Hollywood. I think there's this notion that when we meet the right person, like when we kiss them, like little bluebirds will like come singing in like in Cinderella Fire fireworks will go, will go off mm -hmm. and I don't live in that world but I think that some of the men that I've been dating live in that world True. and things might be great but when they're not magical they just move on to the next what I, what I hear more than anything else is there were no sparks right and I'm like, okay, fine. Or I will I buy fireworks. I'll buy fireworks if you want. I'll put it behind the person's seat, and in the middle of the date, I will light them. It's way more painful, but it's doable. If you, <laughs> you want me to light internal fireworks? That might hurt a little more. Fireworks in your mouth. <laughs> Sam, with this, with, with this move, we're, 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 
Can we admit that we're in trouble? Oh, we're oh being beyond. It's, it's, with a capital T. The whole word in capital. You know what? It's funny because I've been talking about relationships a lot for over 10 years. And I can tell you that I was talking about relationships before Facebook became popular and before Tinder even existed. And I see this incredible trend that's happened just in the past five years where it's the complete breakdown of relationships, complete or, or commit, commitment oriented relationships. I'm sorry, I mean, we're, we gotta talk for real, right? You, you didn't come here for me to sugarcoat your life no, for just you. The desserts. I mean, the desserts just help it, and the wine, it helps it, but it's not the, it's not the reality. You didn't, get, you didn't get to the friends with benefits question. Friends with benefits? You wanna talk about friends with benefits? It's beyond, it's beyond my purview. <laughs> okay. That's sure, let's throw it all out tonight. How physical can you get before marriage, and how Jewish should the girl be? Whoa, well, that's two very different questions. Whoa. I like it. <laughs> and there's one, one Jewish the other one, one right? <laughs> I, think, I think you're asking the wrong person those two questions. Okay, well, let's, 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 go, um, let's go into question one. How physical can you get before marriage? My answer is, it's not my business. Oh, that's a nice answer. I like that. I think that in life, there, um, there, everything that happens to us in life, there are three columns through which we can put it in. We can put it in my business, God's business, and none of my business. And it's very important to know what's our business and what's not our business. I think it's very easy to over-dramatize our lives and think that we live in our friend's soap operas and our, we have our own movies that we watch every single day. We don't have to binge watch Netflix anymore because we have our own binge watching that happens every single day in our lives if we want it to happen. And so we have to make sure that we know what's important. It's not my place as a rabbi to make choices for somebody else. It's your place to make your own choices. So if somebody asks me a question, that could be seen as possibly against or pro-Judaism. Well, so let's say I said, well, the Jewish, um, the Jewish answer would be that you cannot be physical before marriage. So what's that gonna do for you? Absolutely nothing, because we live in a world of which that's basically virtually not possible. So, so that's not gonna help, and it's not my business. Your life is not my business. My job is to inspire and to uplift and to maybe educate a bit, but not to decide for you. It's your choice to decide for yourself. How Jewish should the girl be? Well, it's a very good question. If you want to talk about why marry Jewish, it's a whole different conversation, I think. But if I could venture into that, I think that there are three types of love. There is the it love. I love ice cream. Can you imagine? What a name for love. You can love ice cream and you can love your grandma. It's the same love. That's a poor, uh, that's a poor word. The big day's coming, right? Aren't we like 10 days from the, next the day? Wednesday. Next Wednesday? Yeah. Oh, so next Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no wonder why they're getting married. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I know why these weddings, all these, all these weddings now. So what's love already? So there's it love. There's a you love. Love for yourself. 
you, lo you, you love is altruistic. It's very hard to reach where you're totally committed to someone else and almost foregoing yourself. But the Jewish version of love is called the single I love. That's what Judaism, and I would say Kabbalah specifically, brings to the conversation that no one else brings. Single I love is you and I are two halves of a whole. According to Kabbalah, when we were born, we were separated at birth, we were one and separated, and so we look for the other half of our soul. It's not a euphemism, it's not a beautiful romantic story, it's actual. There is an other half of our soul that's missing. But isn't it better to be independent as two independent individuals and come together? Well, that's why we weren't born together. Right. We were born as two independent individuals, right, right, right. but we're still two halves of a whole. Which means that you will be the complement, you will be the complement of my soul. You're not going to be the opposite. The whole thing opposites attract, I don't know where that came from. But you will be the complement, the things that I need in my life, the elements of my life that I'm missing, you are going to fill. So, if I have everything, if my life is filled with myself, if I'm quite happy and content with my life, then I'm not missing anything, so I'm not going to go find the other half of my soul. It's like asexual. <laughs> no, it's just, there's a lot of people who are quite happy with themselves. I call it married to themselves. It's called narcissism. Narcissism, but let's say we don't want to go as far as narcissism because narcissism has clinical ramifications to it. Let's say there are people who are, there are people who are just full of themselves and they're quite content and happy and they're not willing to, they, they, they don't realize it, they don't realize it, but they're not willing to. I would argue they're not content and happy and they're actually miserable and depressed and insecure inside. But they don't, they, they don't think it that way. They, they, they do think it that way, I think. But I, I think that there's a lot of people. I meet a lot of people who are very happy with their lives. I don't I have a question you ask. Yes, 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 yes. Why? For what reason? What reason? I mean, why? Well, th this is what I want to talk about. Like, Depends. I don't if you're older, you get become that way. As we get older, yeah. we get as we get older, we get more sure skeptical. We have more baggage. There's no question about it. Right. We carry a lot more around. Right. But I do think that there's a lot of people who are very happy and content in their lives. They have good careers. They take nice vacations. They take care of themselves. They make a decent salary. Life is okay. It will be nice to share it with someone, but it's not necessary. In order. To share your life with something, it needs to become absolutely necessary. True. If it's not necessary, then it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's like an added bonus to my already wonderful, <coughs> spectacular life. True. Okay, at times I'm lonely, at times I can't find someone to hook up with, at times I can't find someone, okay, that's wonderful. But most of the time, I'm content and happy with my life. I said to you. Hmm? I said to you. And on top and on top of that, I think that as well as uh, Look, it's very, very easy. 
it's very easy, for example, to, to forego uh, various elements and issues and, and problems in a, in, in a, in a relationship. It, the truth is, the truth is, it's much easier to be single. It is. It's, and I'm not going to deny that. It's, 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 it's much easier. If you want to have an easy life, be single. Yeah, you'll have moments. It's going to be cold outside, and it's going to be icy, and you're going to feel lonely. And yes, there'll be moments. But they're going to be few and far between. Overall, you'll have an easy life. You'll take care of yourself, you'll look after yourself, and everything will be wonderful. You don't get married to have an easy life. <laughs> you don't get married. So, can I use the big M word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, sometimes the big M word is scary. <laughs> or, or the big C word, like commitment. <laughs> Heaven forbid. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I don't want to use these words that are out of place. I mean, you need to like have like a whole uh, mental imagery and meditation before you start using some of these words. So, our <laughs> word. What's that one? Relationship. <laughs> so, but, so, so we, we as a society are looking for easy. In general, in general, we're looking for easy. And the fact that we're looking for easy, anything that's a little more difficult in our lives doesn't fit into that picture. So if you, wanna, if you want to live an easy life, you can take care of yourself. I promise you, there's nobody that will ever love you as much as you love yourself. Even your mom doesn't love you as much as you love yourself. And that's a big one. You will always love yourself. You always take care of yourself. You always look after number one. So if you're looking for that, that's fine. It's your life. It's your choices. Nobody asked you to change that. Now... If you are listening to me say this, and you're like, no, I don't like that, that means there's something missing in your life. If you're listening to me, some of you, are, I'm sure, are listening. You don't have to say this. But you're listening to me, you're like, yeah, it's true. You're right. Okay, I, I, I am. I'm pretty content. I'm happy with my life. My job's okay. I have some money in the bank. Um, I, if I don't have money in the bank, I've got a credit card. I mean, it didn't stop me from going to Florida. So <laughs> life is good. Life is wonderful. And yeah, it's true. But if there's a little glimmer of a spark in, in, in your mind that when you listen to this, you're like, no, I, I'm not happy. I'm, I'm actually secretly miserable. Okay, fine, miserable is a big word. I'm, I'm not happy. I, I, I could do better. So then there's something missing in your life. The moment you admit to the fact that there's something missing in your life and you say that it's not another vacation and it's not another whatever you do to make yourself happy. So what is it? Then we can start talking about a commitment. Then we can start talking about a marriage. You must feel like there's genuinely something missing in your life, and you must channel that missingness, if I can use that word, that thing that I know. <laughs> I love making up words. <laughs> if you, you have to channel that thing that you're missing into the desire to search and find that which you're missing. That changes the whole picture. That is the Jewish view on relationships and marriage. Now, that thing that you're missing, how do you find it? What is the process to find it, etc.? We can talk about that at a different time. But if there's one thing you take out of tonight, 
is that just putting yourself in the mindset that I'm missing something and I have to go out and look for it and find it changes everything. Just that mindset. Because a lot of us don't put ourselves in that mindset. And if we want to, what do we do? We fill up our lives with Facebook and events and events and events and every single night we can be busy. Montreal is full no matter what day of the year. You can find something any day of the week, any night you want. And we can literally fill up our lives. If you are the kind of person who's constantly filling up your life with this, that, and the other thing, you're missing something in your life. Just by the way. If you are constantly needing to go out and you cannot be satisfied, or if you're the kind of person, and I'm going to go the opposite way, if you're the kind of person who has this amount of books that you're in the middle of reading, or you are in between 30 binge-watching Netflix shows, <laughs> you're also missing something in your life. Because you should not be binge-watching 30 shows. And, and if you have the time, and I'm going to say this, if you have the time in your life to even binge-watch a show on a weekend, you're missing something in your life. That is not the purpose. But how do you admit that to yourself is the question. If you, that's what I'm saying. If you literally leave here tonight just saying, that rabbi... I don't believe very much of what he said, but the one thing he said that makes sense to me is that I'm missing something in my life. If you just leave here tonight with that, I've been successful. Just that, then what you do with that, you're gonna start thinking about it. And every, then tomorrow, when you're looking for something to do, or tomorrow when, you're, when you realize at three o'clock in the morning that you just binge-watched whatever show you're in the middle of binge-watching and you have to wake up for work in the morning because you really have nothing else better to do, then you're going to say, oh my gosh, that rabbi was right. Why, why am I filling up my life? Why can't I be honest with myself and my emotions? Why am I filling up my life with all this, this, this nonsense? But the um, media does a disservice on that. And it says, okay, so you're feeling you're missing someone. That means you're not complete. Well, that means you're not complete. And so before you should find love, you should be complete. Find activity. You should do this or that. You should be complete. That's what the media said. It says that you should go out and all stuff, and then, because if you're missing something, it means there's something wrong with you, so you should fill it up. That's what the media generally says, as opposed to what you're saying. I'm very well aware. The media says a lot of things, <laughs> but most of what they say is to sell you something. Because otherwise, if they can't sell you something, they can't exist. So you have to be careful. What I'm, I have nothing to sell you tonight. I'm not the media, and... Here, you're not going to see any advertising messages that are going to be going across your screen while you're having a conversation here, unless you're in the middle of looking at your phone while I'm talking. I just think people can't admit that to themselves. They can't take that bridge. A lot of people I can't. I think that's the main problem. A lot of people. A lot of people. I was saying, if that's one thing, whatever else I'm going to say for the rest of the evening is all gravy compared to that statement. Um... Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave these things in here, and we're going to get to them towards the middle of the class, but I want to get started uh, into tonight's class. And you're welcome to continue adding, because it's still anonymous as long as there's stuff in there. So tonight we're talking about who needs love anyway. What I did was here is I wrote out a lot of the gist of what I wanted to tell you tonight so that you don't have to worry about writing notes and you have something in your hand that you can take home with you to give you some of the, the information that I was planning on talking about. So let's get started. There are two dimensions 
to love. Two very distinct and significant kinds of love. One of them we would call the pleasant love, the pleasurable love, the love that makes you feel good, the love that makes you feel content, satisfied, full, complete. There's this fleeting moment. It's wonderful. It's nice. I'm happy for now. It's just feel good. Little tingly, little not. It's not intense. It's just nice. Then there's another love. Maybe even more crucial and essential to relationship than this. I think we can call it the compelling love. The kind of love that doesn't let you be content. It motivates you. It compels you to get up and do something. It's a love that compels action. It can be described more as a commitment, a devotion, a responsibility to the one you love, and that kind of love is probably the core, the heart of a relationship. I feel, feel, it's an emotion, not an intellectual pursuit, it's an emotion. I feel like I, I need to love you. I don't know what it is, I can't explain it. I'm sure we've all been there at some point in our lives. The, the study that came out that said that by the time we're 35, we have dated four people in our lives that we could have married. So I'm sure that a lot of us in this room have been there at some point in our lives. So here's the point. The point is that there's a certain kind of love there's a certain kind of sympathy, a certain kind of considerateness that we can describe as beautiful. Love is beautiful. But there's another kind of love that's not only a response to someone or something, but it actually makes things happen. It's a love that causes things to happen. It's not a passive love. There's a big difference between active love and passive love. Love that happens to us, that essentially we didn't even do anything to experience it. it, it lust, that, that instant moment of passion and, and excitement, the beginning of this relationship, and it gets very quick, very, very fast. All of a sudden it happens, it's moving, things are happening, I'm all over the place, I'm excited, I'm happy. That kind of love, I didn't do anything for it. It happened to me. It could be it'll work, it could be it'll turn into a compelling type of love. But what we really want to get to, to be in a successful relationship, is we want to get to a compelling kind of love. A love that motivates us. A love that inspires us. Do you have to go through the first stage to get to the second stage? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. I would say, actually, it's very hard to go from the first stage to the second stage. If it starts off as passive, it's very hard to turn it into active. I would say you want to start with active love, with compelling love. It's, it's very hard to, to take a passive type of love because what ends up happening is by nature we're narcissistic. We're all selfish by nature. So what ends up happening is if the relationship is all about my needs and fulfilling my needs, it gets very easy to just get into this mode where I'm just fulfilling my needs. And it's hard, that's passive. Someone fulfilling my needs is passive. And it's very hard to change that. Getting into an active compelling type of love means that I'm saying that I'm getting into this relationship for you, not for me. I may get nothing from it. Well, I'll tell you a secret. If you get into a relationship for you, 
and you get nothing from it, you're not in a relationship. But if I get into a relationship for you, if we're in a relationship, the odds are that you're going to end up being in a relationship for me. And that synthesis of us both being in that relationship and that back and forth, not tit for tat, not tit for tat, I, we're not keeping track of what's happening in our relationship. But what we are doing is we're seeing that I give, you give, we're both looking to enrich, inspire, and motivate one another. And that slowly becomes a relationship. Um, I've been in a relationship for five years with somebody who's uh, uh, not easy to deal with, to say the least. And uh, I wanted her to change, to be somebody that could help me out or something like that. To be somebody that I can uh, deal with easily. You know, by, by bringing up my um, kind of like, trying to be like psychologically probing uh, her and like always giving her like advices and making her into somebody that I would like. But that didn't work out. Okay, question for you if you don't mind You're trying to make her into someone you would like. Why would you be with her to begin with? That's good. Good start. Because she needed help. I love this. Helped her in the end, but... Uh, if you took her on as a relationship or as like a project, that is that is that is a codependent or an enmeshed relationship. We never, yeah. we we never ever, and it's very common. A lot of people are looking for the fixer uppers. They for some reason they feel like they need some kind of psychology in their life and they want to try to find someone who they can fix. Relationships are very 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 rarely successful if you're trying to fix somebody else. Very rarely successful. But it's a very common thing. People do get into relationships with that desire to fix somebody. So it's not unheard of. When what, you're, what you experienced is what a lot of people experience. So don't feel like you're unique or that you're the only one it happened to. It happens to a lot of people. Let's talk about the compelling kind of love not the passive kind of love. It's the kind of love that leans more towards responsibility and commitment. It's more like devotion than sensitive. And it's a little hard to pin down exactly. But usually when we think of love, when we think of a relationship, we're thinking of warm feelings, pleasant feelings, which come from pleasant opinions about the other person. But the general aura of it is pleasantness, is pleasing. But there's another kind of love, a very different kind of love. This is a third kind of love. The kind of love that feels more like devotion than pleasantness. More like we go down together or we don't go at all. That doesn't feel so pleasant, but it's much, much stronger. It makes things happen. That kind of love compels you to behave a certain way, to do certain things which the other love would not. So tonight, I felt important to talk about this because tonight is the anniversary of the passing of a great Rebetzin, a woman, <coughs> Rebetzin Chaimushka, who was the wife of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, 
and tonight is her, her yard site. So I thought I would tell a story about her. The, the Rebetzin, in her later years, would go out for drives down to the waterfront, to, to the beach. One time, the driver was taking her down to the ocean. On the road that they usually took was closed, repairs or, or something like that, they had to take a detour. They were going through this other road, and there was a house where there were some police cars in front of the house. There was some tumult going on, and they drove by. After a few moments, the Rebetzin said, turn around, please. Let's go back to the house, and let's see what's going on there. They drive back, and the driver asked what's going on, and found out that there's a family that can't pay their rent, and they were getting evicted. So the Rebetzin told him to find out how much they needed to pay the rent. And he found out, at that moment, the Rebetzin took out her checkbook, and she wrote out a check, and she paid for the rent. The driver was absolutely stunned. So in the car, she explained this to him. My father taught me that you never see anything unless it's relevant to you. The reason we had to take an alternative route and drive past that scene, I felt it must be that I could do something about it. Otherwise, why would I have seen it? So I went back and fixed it. So let's connect this to love. A beautiful story of an incredible woman. There's a love that is kind of a plateau of feeling where I've always been looking for love and I found the love and now I'm content. And then there's another kind of love that's the exact opposite of content. It's an urgent love. It makes you want to do something. The story of the rabbits and stopping and finding out what was wrong and fixing it, it's not a pleasant kind of love. It's not a gentle love. It's a love that is commitment, that is determination. You don't let it go by. You make it happen because of the love for another human being. You see, here's a great mistake that a lot of singles make. They don't seize the moment. There's situations they find themselves in, places they put themselves in, of which something can happen, where they could make something happen. But instead, because of fear, anxiety, past relationships that cause commitment issues, they're scared, fear, more fear, more fear. They don't seize the moment. And by not seizing the moment, they almost, to a certain extent, destroy. There was, there was a beauty that was happening, something that was being created. Another something that was enveloping in their lives that they just kind of let go. Love is a commitment. A relationship is a commitment. And the commitment happens to be or can be pleasurable. But pleasure is not a relationship. A relationship can be pleasurable. But if all you have is the pleasure, it's not a relationship. It's just an event. A relationship has permanence. An event is only an event. 
And that's the answer to the other question. And that's the answer to the other question. So there was a, a group of women asked me to come speak to them, to help them with the problem they were having. They all were recently starting to keep a, the mitzvahs, and their husbands were not supportive. They're married women. So I said to them, let me tell you from a man's point of view what's bothering your husbands. You came home one day and not thinking and not even suspecting that anyone can be uninspired when you're inspired and you tell your husbands that from now on they have to, uh, I don't know, keep kosher. They didn't even hear the rest of the sentence. It didn't even matter. All they heard were the words, have to. And he said to himself, no, I don't. I don't have to. So, so what's this all of a sudden? It's my house. It's my life. Everything was hunky-dory. And now I have to? No, I don't. Don't bother me. You want to do it? No problem. I'll be somewhat supportive. I'll be okay. But I don't have to. It's not my business. Now, if you had said, listen to the change over here. That's what I said to them. If you had said, well, you're right. You don't have to. But I would really like it if you did. He wouldn't have a problem. But you'd said, you have to. There's I messages and you messages. In relationships, it's very important to know when to use an I message and when to use a you message. What is the ultimate I you message? I love you. I just have a question. Who's the I and who's the you? And what's love? And if I'm I and you're you, what gives the I the right to love you? Maybe we have to switch the story. Maybe it's really a you message. If I love you, it's not an I message. You love me. <laughs> no, it's you I love. Well, in some languages that's how it's said. Yeah. For example, in Hebrew, that's how it's said. Because it's, because it's, it's, it's more proper that way. Same thing in Italian. Yeah. Italian, come on, it's a language of love. Space Shakespeare. To a certain extent. I know. I know. But he wrote about it. Stuff. Well, Romeo and Juliet was in Verona. Yeah. And, and the Merchant of Venice? That was totally my relationship. Just saying. <laughs> That's a you message. If I love you, it's a you message. It's not I love you, it's you I love. But a you message is not from now on you're going to do this because no, I'm not. It's would you please do this for me because you love me. We have to say because you love me, but would you please, I'm asking you as a favor, would you do this for me? And if you love me, you'll do it. 
the truth is, that's not really what's bothering him. What's really bothering him is that you came home inspired and not inspired about him. You came home excited and it wasn't about him. He's jealous. At home you're bored, but you come home from this class and you're all excited. What's going on here? Who is the center of your life? What happened? You used to get excited about me. Now that hurts. And that's what I told these women. But that's not really his problem. His problem is much deeper than that. His problem is that if you had come home and said you had met a really good looking guy, he would be upset. He would be angry. He would fight it. But you came home and said something even more difficult. You said, God said. How can he compete with God? It's not fair. This is completely off the board. It's off the charts. It's not following the rules of the game. So he doesn't know how to handle this. So he's digging in his heels. But I'll tell you, even that's not the problem. His real problem is, you came home and said, God said to keep Shabbat. I'm going to keep Shabbat. Or God said keep kosher, I'm going to keep kosher. God said keep mikvah, get out of my bed. So that doesn't bother him. What really bothers him is what if God tells you to dump me? Since I don't cooperate... And since I'm not religious enough for you, what if God says dump him? What would you do then? That's what bothers him. I said, I promise not to tell. I told him, I, I, I won't tell your husbands. But just tell me. If God told you to dump your husbands, what would you do? And there was a silence in the room. There was a silence. Nobody had an answer. So I said, you were thinking? And they said, yes. So I said, about what? If I were your husband, I'd be very upset. What are you thinking about? What are these women thinking about? Is there a reason strong enough to become a husband? <laughs> According to the Torah, if God came and said, dump your husband, what should they say? Well, we have two possibilities. We have to find a precedent in Torah so that we know what we're supposed to do. One day, God comes to Abraham and says, you know your son, your only son, your favorite son? Go kill him. So what did Abraham do? He got up early in the morning with gladness in his heart. He wanted to go do what God said. So from this, we must deduce that if God told these women to dump their husbands, they should get up 
early in the morning with gladness in their heart, set off and do what God told them to do. Now there's another story. It's a whole different story. God comes to Moses. Using another metaphor. And said, the people are so bad. They made a graven image. I'm going to dump them. I don't want these people anymore. They went against me. And what did Moses say? If you're going to dump them, you have to dump me too. Erase me from your book. So from this we learn that if God comes to a woman and says, dump your husband, you should say, all right, but I'm going with him. You can't not obey God. Dump him and then follow him. Now, which side of the two stories carries? Which side of the two stories is the answer to this question? God didn't say to Abraham, dump Isaac. He said, raise him back to heaven. What was Abraham supposed to say? If he goes, I go. He wasn't invited. So Isaac wasn't being dumped. He was being taken back to heaven. And you can't invite yourself to heaven. But when God came to Moses and said, I'm dumping the people, I'm not taking them to heaven. I'm abandoning them in the desert. Moses said, well, then I go with them. And we don't find anywhere in any of the commentaries, we don't find anywhere that God was annoyed with Moses. It's almost like he gets an argument from everybody. The people don't listen. He talks to Moses. He argues with him. He gets no cooperation from anyone. God wasn't angry with Moses. On the contrary, that's exactly what he wanted him to do. So what's the secret? You follow the metaphor? What's the secret? How does it apply to our lives? You see, here's the problem. These women, they found an inspiration. They found an excitement. They found, for lack of better words, a truth. A compelling lifestyle and they got excited. And they were certain that just mentioning it to their husbands would get their husbands excited. And the husbands are also gonna wanna do whatever they're doing because we're in love. And when we're in love, you're gonna do whatever I wanna do. And then they have to convince their husbands that this excitement hasn't replaced them, and that he still comes first. We need a different kind of love in our lives. We need a love that says, if you mess up and you're in trouble, then I'm in trouble with you. That's not a pleasant kind of love. That's not an event. That's not a happenstance. That's not a pleasurable type of love. It's a much richer, it's a much stronger love. And it compels certain actions, certain behaviors. 
Because just being content to be in love is not enough. It doesn't satisfy this other kind of love. So what happens when two people get married? There's a subjective feeling that comes and goes. It's a rise and fall. There's excitement and there's boredom. Sometimes you can't believe how lucky you are. And sometimes you wonder if this is really all there is to life. Sometimes you're feeling high and giddy in a relationship. And sometimes it's just nice. Those are all subjective feelings. Those subjective feelings, if they were the only things that we governed love and relationships by, everybody would be divorced. So there must be something more. There must be a, what we're going to call tonight, a compelling kind of love. There must be something deeper that is going to be there even when I'm not interested. And even then when I'm not feeling so in love with you. Kids. No, not, not, kids. not necessarily kids are going to be the answer either. Most divorce, the divorce rate in 2016 was 54%. It's a little higher right now. 54%. Of the 54%, more than 40% of those divorces happened within the eight, first 18 months. So kids is not even in the picture from, for the most part. Why in the first place? Because we live in a world of instant gratification. That's not what I signed up for. What do you mean? It was supposed to be all love and games. Everything, all of a sudden, the honeymoon's over. What the heck did I just do? Then they're talking about do we return the gifts or not? There's an objective reality to love that doesn't come and go. It's not that fickle. It's much more stable, much more permanent. It's the commitment. It's the devotion. The fact that you are no longer single, that doesn't change from day to day. The fact that you're a couple, that doesn't change from day to day. You're not more of a couple one day and less of a couple the next day. That's a consistency, which is an objective reality that is stronger than our subjective feelings. Now, how that happens is a mystery. We haven't yet discovered a really convincing explanation to answer this particular question of coupleness. Two people, strangers for the first half of their life, quarter of their lives, half of their lives, third of their lives, get together, by free choice, they decide to share a life and they get married. Now, how did this completely subjective decision or choice create an objective reality that's stronger and bigger than both of them? How does this happen? You know that people say that divorce is like an amputation. It's a pretty appropriate description. How does it happen? They're two separate people. They go their separate ways, why is it an amputation? Okay, you've invested in the relationship. You've got a lot of memories, but amputation? Somehow, somehow marriage, that bond which is created 
voluntarily gets out of control. You lose control. Once you've stood under that chuppah, all voluntary behavior is gone. Now you have no choice. It's not subjective anymore. Now it's objective. This is your wife, and this is how you treat her. And what if I don't want her to be my wife? Well, then you're going to have to have an amputation. Because now she's one with you. Because something happens under that chuppah. People say, oh, especially here in Quebec, why do I have to get married? Who cares? Ah, it's just a formality. Why spend all the money? Just, we'll just live together. Who cares? Whatever. Why bother? There's something happens. And a lot of people who have gone through that chuppah will tell you there's something incredible that happens. We think that we have freedom of choice and all of a sudden it's gone. There's no more freedom of choice. It's a very powerful thing. That is the love that is compelling, not the love that is pleasurable. The love that is pleasurable you give to a, as a gift to whoever appeals to you. You share that kind of love as a present. Not that it should be frivolous, but it's yours. You give as you choose. But this other kind of love doesn't have that looseness to it. The other kind of love, once given, is out of your control. Maybe it wasn't in your control ever. Maybe that's not the kind of love that you can choose to give. It's the kind of love that happens when it's supposed to, not when you want it to. And maybe that's why sometimes we find ourselves married to a person we can't live with. I mean, literally, we end up divorced. Why? Because it's not like people sit there thinking, boy, did I make a mistake. What was I thinking to marry this person? I must have been drunk. That's not true at all. The kind of love that ends up in marriage was really not the kind of love you gave by choice. It was never under your control. There was some kind of destiny here, some kind of purpose here. And there was no way that you could have prevented it. And that's why when it happens with a person that you don't get along with, it's a marriage, not a friendship. And when it has to end, it's an amputation. The party's over. So the respect that we have for the institution of marriage has to be much greater. It has to be much bigger, much more real. If this is believable, it has to be more important in the respect that we have for our own emotions. So when the person says, I am in, a, in an abusive relationship, he doesn't treat me right, he makes fun of me, that's nothing compared to the truth and the strength and the power of the marriage because what's hurting is only that pleasant love, that voluntary love that comes and goes. But what's in place is that other love that is an attachment, a commitment, a dedication, a compelling oneness that is beyond our control. You see, what starts off as a need, what starts off as something missing in my life will end off as being in a commitment. What starts off as something passive, oh, you know what happened? It just happens. And we just, I don't know, I can't explain it. One thing led to another and we fell in love. That's beautiful. I hear that story a lot. 
Now that you fell in love, fall out of love and fall into commitment. That's okay. It's okay when one thing leads to another. But at some point, hopefully before you get married, you want that to be active love. You want that to be compelling. You want to change that from passive. It just happened. Look, you know, I didn't mean it. It was a one night. I mean, you know what I mean. Whatever. I mean, she just stayed here. I didn't expect it. But you know what? I started liking her. I think she's okay now. You know, she's... Oh, how about this one? She's grown on me. I know, isn't that? Nice. I wish someone would say that. It's a gift that not all have. No, I, I, I'm not saying the great, the greatest romantic comedies start off like that. But you know how, but you know how long a romantic comedy is. About an hour and a half. That's how long the relationship is. Yeah, yeah well. Thank you. So I think that at some point the relationship has to kind of embody this level of active. We're doing this. We're in this together. It's amazing. So I, I, one, one of the things that I do, and I've spoken about this a lot of times, is in order when I marry a couple, they have to go through premarital counseling before. I will not marry a couple that doesn't go because I think that it's my job as a rabbi to set up a couple for a long-lasting and healthy relationship. And that doesn't just happen by chance. So one of the things that we do is a very detailed, about 45-minute to one-hour questionnaire that's given to each of the, the couple. And then I create a, an assessment of the strengths and weaknesses of this relationship. Now, every relationship has different strengths and weaknesses. I've never found one that had lots of weaknesses or lots of strengths. There's always strengths and weaknesses. I assess nine different categories, and there's usually, you know, probably five in one and four in the other are the opposite. But what's always fascinating to me is questions like, I'll ask a question like, how many kids do you want? Now, this is a couple who's been in a relationship for three and a half years, let's say. You would expect, just, had, just, one, just, just yesterday I was talking to a couple. So I, we did this assessment. I did the whole thing, and I, we started our premarital program yesterday. They've been in a relationship for three and a half years. Would you think in three and a half years they would have had a conversation about how many kids they want? You'd think in the process of three and a half years? Yeah, that's, not, that's not where the story's going. He said one. She said four. Oh, my goodness. He I've had zero. I, I, I've had zero and five. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they never even talked about kids. They never even talked about kids. I mean, that was a very hard first premarital counseling, where we had to actually like, okay, we got to have a conversation, mm-hmm. and it's not going to be pretty. How far was the wedding? Sorry, I have a question. And he says, "I thought you didn't want to have kids," and she says, "When did you say that?" I never said that to you. When did we have that conversation? And I say, you've been dating for two years and never had the conversation? Something is wrong. And so that is what happens when passive relationships somehow become, oh, well, now I guess we're just going to get engaged, where we've never actually actively gone through the process of saying, what is our life going to look like? I mean, yeah, maybe it's fun and games now. Maybe it's nice now. Maybe it's enjoyable now. But that's not the compelling. That's not going to be the long-term type of love. But don't you mm-hmm. take a risk? 
No, there's the question. Every guy, every guy. Look, there's a, yesterday I got a phone call from a girl, and she's dating this guy for a while, and she says to me, um, he's not, he's not popping the question. He's dating to death. I read your article. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> he's dating to death. Very good. <laughs> Someone reads them. Now I feel good that she sent it to me. Great. <laughs> I'm so excited. Somebody reads my articles. It's a great article. It was a great article. So, so I said to her, as I wrote in the article, but this actually just happened. I said to her, why don't you propose to him? What do you mean? I said, what do you mean? It's a world of equality. Pluralism is pluralism. Why does he have to propose? If he's dating to death, make it alive again. You go, I don't know, buy him something. Maybe a ring, I don't know what, whatever it is. Buy him a six pack of beer and go propose. Wait, how did you not give him an ultimatum? Oh, ultimatums never work. Ultimatums never work. Very good. Do they work for Ultimatums never work. Never work. Yeah, and the relationship. Really, come on. Wait, wait, let's talk for real. Do you want to be in a relationship with somebody who gave you an ultimatum? Do you want to marry someone who gave you an ultimatum? It's a passive aggressive way of getting it. Absolutely. If you want to end a relationship, give an ultimatum. Or say, I just want to know, when, when you propose to me, I'm looking for like two and a half carats. Whoa. This, guy, this guy calls me up. He's like, she was telling, we were talking about, you know, possibly proposing. So she wants two and a half carats. So I said, most, most fruit and vegetable stores have two and a half carats. You can get it. <laughs> That's crazy. That's insane. Okay. Let's pull out some of these questions here. You ready? No, no. Rabbi, are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. What do you think of a social experiment? There's 24 there. And shows such as Married at First Sight. Can someone just enlighten me about this show? Is it real? So there's a show, like a real show? You meet them at the altar. You meet them at the altar. Does it work? There's like a psychologist, a sociologist, and there's like three There's a team that professionals. That it's evaluate on, um, all the profile and decide to match these people. Yeah. Just to be clear, you're it's on Al Jazeera. Al Jazeera, whatever. Yeah, but he's honest. He's gonna no, be honest. Totally blind. It's not family. That's a blind man. I wanna, I wanted to say, anyone who knows me knows that. Arranged or blind? No, it's arranged. I will never, I will never give anyone advice just because I think or believe something. That's not. No, it's not the right I know, way. I'm just saying that from our perspective, it's probably much stranger to us. By the way, in the Hasidic community, Maybe arranged marriages are not like that. You don't meet at the altar. <laughs> you, 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 date, you date for marriage. The purpose of dating is for marriage, but you still have a chance to say yes or no. Right. I mean, the different communities, some less than more, some just let you see, the, you, know, you see them once, some you see them five or six or ten, some you can even see them as many times as you want depending on the level of the Hasidic community. But everybody gets to say yes or no. It's not where you meet at the altar. They That's get insane. They yes or no. They get to the altar and they get to say, at the altar they can say That's crazy. Yes, but, they, I mean, they have, they don't sign an agreement saying, for sure I'm married. They can, 
And, and I think one has, but they have six weeks to make it work. And at the end, obviously, they can get an annulment. Are you serious? That's not plan B. Son fiancé, de Montréal, de Montréal, Ottawa, Ottawa, jusqu'à Toronto. Ma soeur s'était déplacée par la compagnie. Crazy. Ouais. Et Ethan, maintenant c'est devenu son mari, il s'était déplacé pour les études d'école. De l'université jusqu'à Ottawa, de Ottawa jusqu'à Toronto. Six ans et demi. Ensemble, ils sont mariés quatre ans. I think that. No, no, no. I think you missed the spirit of the question altogether. Okay. I think. It's totally a separate conversation. It's a very interesting. We'll go there in a. Maybe we have time tonight. These shows in general, any of these social experiment shows, I don't have never seen this married at first sight one. It sounds crazy, but they really breaking down. I think of them just the same way like I think of Tinder. They are really cheapening something that is very beautiful and very special. Well and mm. I think that we have to be very careful because when we watch them and when we experience these shows, our subconscious follows them and they do taint us. So we have to be a little more careful of what we allow our minds to see. Yeah, because when we expose ourselves to those things, they do have an effect on us, whether we like it or not. Mm. But it, thank you, that's a great question. <clears throat> Men and women that are angry demanding and almost abusive. What good does one um, in the couple, in a couple that is involved with this, what does one remain? So basically what I'm hearing is that an abusive relationship. Um, so I'm not gonna go into all the psychological ramifications of abusive relationships. There's some people who like them. Some people who it's familiar for because they that's all they know. There's men that get into, especially men who get into abusive relationships, usually because that is um, something they saw, and that's how they know about relationships. Um, there's some women who get into abusive relationships because it's comfortable for them. They like it. Um, therapy is great, and it's wonderful, and nobody should be in an abusive relationship ever. And they are not, they, they don't work, even if they may have worked 60 years ago, the society we live in today, here in Montreal, Quebec, they don't work anymore. So um, I rec highly recommend not even starting. What is an abusive relationship? It's a whole different conversation all on its own. What is, constitutes abuse? Sometimes we don't even realize, a lot of people who are in abusive relationships don't even realize that it's abusive. And some people, who are a little more emotional, they think that every little thing is abusive. He screamed at me, we got into an argument, it's all over. No, it's not over. Actually, arguments are great in relationships if you know how to fight. The first thing I teach couples, the first thing I teach couples when they come to me is I teach them how to fight. Every couple fights differently because of the, the dynamics of their couplehood is different. And so the first thing that a couple has to learn is how to fight. And that doesn't mean makeup. Like, people think, oh, I mean, we're just going to make up. It'll be okay. Or somebody, the stupidest, the stupidest piece of advice that people give. What's the number one piece of advice you get before you get married? Don't go to bed angry. Stupidest thing ever. What the heck does that mean? So couples force themselves to 
make up, and they do whatever that means, the make up stuff. Rated R. So, <laughs> so but what you want to do is teach a couple, or at least from my perspective, is you want to teach a couple to have conflict and resolve. Conflict's amazing, it builds the character of the relationship if you resolve the conflict. So we want conflict, we liked conflict, actually. If you don't have any conflict in a relationship, there's no romance, there's no passion. But it has to be in the right context. Right. It has to be in the right context. Okay, next one. At what point in dating someone should you know where it is headed? That's a great question. That's a great, great question. Is the, Third date. is the answer different for men and women? The answer is different for men and women because generally, I'm generalizing, generally men know before women where it's headed, but they're afraid to say. Generally. Because it's not right. You ever ask these couples? I, I love asking couples this question. I, I do my, my own little informal surveys. I see a lot of couples. I do a lot of, a lot of marriage therapy, uh, counseling. So I ask couples, so, so when did you know? Like, when did you know? And they're always so, oh, I knew right away. But, and then the guy will like, and the guy will like jokingly say, well, I just wasn't normal. Like, I, I couldn't, like, what would my friend say if I was like engaged after a month? So it's interesting how in our society, a lot of relationships kind of go on for a year or two or three because it's just kind of strange. What are your friends going to say? But a lot of people know right away. A lot of people, they look back at it, whether it's hindsight, hindsight's twenty twenty or not, but a lot of people know sooner than, sooner than later. When should you know where the relationship is headed? <laughs> when, when should you know where the relationship is headed? Um, I would hope that you should know at all times. Why, are, why is it always this scary... Like a balancing act, everyone's like tiptoeing around each other. Ask. So, how we doing? What's up? How's it going? Why are we so scared about where this relationship is headed? Because people are afraid if they ask questions, they get answers they don't want to hear. Well, then, isn't it better to get the answer sooner than later? Yeah. What did you say? I missed it. Why are we? Very wise, and you missed it. Why? Why are you? Why are you? Uh, I was in transition. Why are you waiting for? Like, I don't understand. So, 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 basically, you have something that's, for lack of better words, a one night stand plus, and you're afraid to lose it. Plus. Plus. I like that. Plus. <laughs> And 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 you're just and you're just afraid to to, to, to lose that whatever it is that doesn't really exist. I'm like, look, if 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 you're not into commit commitment or a serious relationship, then do whatever you want. I mean, probably you don't want to talk to me, but if if you're looking for something that's long term commitment, you might as well know sooner than later. If this is Something that is not working out. It's a habit you have to learn. I think the nature of things is to not want to ask those questions, but now... I would say that in today's day, there's nothing that's natural about relationships. Nothing that just happens. And if you ask people who have been in successful relationships, they didn't just happen. These are people who learned, who got into it, who started coming to a class like this, who started reading books. If you want, I can recommend you. I can give you my my, my top five um, books 
that, that I would recommend that you read. These are people who get in. We, nothing is a given anymore. It all has to be learned. So yes, it's very awkward to learn how to ask someone you're in a relationship with what's going on. But there are ways of doing it, and there are, we can have conversations, and I'm very happy at some point, if you like, we can even role play it. And I can actually teach you how to approach the question, if you're in a relationship. <coughs> but that's a great question. Next question. How many carrots are the minimum? Um, next question. What is love? What is love? What's love got to do with it? Okay. Um, what is love? Love is a glimmer, a spark, but not the fireworks kind of spark. It's a feeling that slowly grows over time through a mix of experiences and understanding about a particular individual. How do you make room in your life for another? Some people need to clear out half of their closet, sleep on one side of their bed, and sit at one chair at the table, because that's how real it has to be in their life. Yeah, I'm serious. There are some people who are so full of themselves that they have to literally pretend like their, their apartment or where they're living is half full. They've got to clear out one half of their closet. They have to sleep on one side of the bed. They sit at one chair. And look, there's something flipping missing in my life. That simple. There are, there, are, there are some... You literally have to physically make room for somebody in your life. If you want to have someone in your life, you have to physically make room. If your house is full of garbage, there's no room for anyone else. And I don't even mean physical garbage. I mean emotional garbage and mental garbage and other garbage and experiences and that and what you're not going to do. Everyone knows what they're not going to do and what I'm not, <laughs> not going to repeat that, that. I'm not going to repeat that. I want to hear a list of things you are going to do. Did you purposely plan this exactly a week before Love Day? <laughs> <laughs> this is my evil laugh. <laughs> very, this is a very important one. How does homeless play in a loving relationship? That's what it says. It says homeless. What? I guess I carried over. Someone was thinking too much about their homeless. <laughs> it's how you like your falafel. <laughs> Do you like it with the hummus or without the hummus? When is it too late? Very often, it's, if, if you're asking, is it too late? It's too late. Too late where you're, you, you date to death. Most people who ask, is it too late? It's too late. Too late where the, you've dated to death, where the relationship... Um, so, if you've strung along a relationship and it's become stale, it's very hard to rekindle that passion that you may have had before because you've strung it along long enough. There's a process to a courting a relationship. It has to grow over time. If you, because you're afraid or you're, you're commitment phobic, 
allow that relationship to, to just linger on without anything, it will, it will die. And as a result of the relationship dying, uh, it will be very hard to, if you, let's say we're sitting at this class and you were in that relationship and I said, you know, and you, said, you asked me this question, is it too late? I would have to say yes, and there's no way to recapture that. No chance. No chance. Which is why there's a lot of studies coming out. There's a lot of people who you, like I said, when you're 35, this study came out last year, you're 35, you will have dated four people that you could have married. And there's no way to rekindle that passion. Oh, there's no way to rekindle that question? Better, better, you know better than me. You know what? I will change my, my words. There is a way. It may be a lot more work than anyone wants to give. If you're not willing to give it a lot of work, then Here it is. What is the secret to a good marriage? So, um, I'm actually, someone just asked me uh, for, for the holiday that's coming up, I get all these different requests over the years for different kinds of articles and things. So, um, I'm writing for a newspaper now, 10 my, my, my 10 top tips for a good marriage. My 10 top secrets for a good marriage. I did last year, I did my 10 top dating secrets. And the year before, I did my, my 10 top engagement secrets. If you haven't seen it, you can just go look and search online, you'll find them. So now I'm doing my 10 top marriage secrets. So, what is the number one? I'm not gonna give them all to you, but what I'm gonna ask you, and if you've heard me talk about this before, don't answer it. Um, what is the number one secret to a long-lasting and healthy relationship? If you've heard me say this before, don't answer it. Flowers. <laughs> Flowers. Respect. Really? Respect. Compromise. Compromise. Compliments. 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 Friendship. Friendship. <laughs> I was, I was, having, huh? I was like, no, but even I said it like question question right? mark. There's a confidence in the group. Which is a confidence on oh, like confidence. Yeah, yeah, confidence. Yeah, confidence. Physical attraction. Physical attraction. No one's gotten it so far. Come on, keep on going. Huh? Communication. That's a great one. So important, but not number one. Oh boy. Wait, what was it? What is the what is the number one secret? What's the number one secret to a long-lasting, healthy relationship? If you heard me talk about this before, don't answer it. I'm sure I have, I just don't remember. <laughs> the number one... The one, yes. <laughs> That's a good one, but no. Experimenting? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not answering that. Trust. I just heard trust. Very good one, but no, not number one. Yeah, but you said trust comes after seven. Okay, years. let's go to the next question. No. no what? There's only number one. There's ten. What's number one? You want to know? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Why do you want to know? Why not? 
I just want to know, if, if, I, if, if we left tonight and I didn't tell you, would it matter, really? We would stalk you. We would stalk you. Hold on. It wouldn't matter until we were in a relationship. <laughs> would it, tell me, would, would it bother you if you left tonight and you didn't hear the answer? Well, I'd like to know. It wouldn't have been sleepover, but it would be nice to know. That's it. Would it bother you? Would it bother you? Would it bother you? We want instant gratification. Probably not. Probably not. So, okay, so it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Bother me. Patience. Doesn't matter. So then, why, why should I even talk about it? Doesn't matter. It's not going to bother you. Rabbi, I would like to know. Why would you like to know? Because I want to have relevance. I want to know what to do when I finally meet the right girl. What do you, what do you, what, what do you want to know for? So I can have a well, relationship. You only need to know after you meet Why? Her. Not yet. Why? Okay. <laughs> I just want to know. So I just said, I just said that I can tell you the secret tonight. Of a long, the number one secret of a long-lasting and healthy relationship. I'm not going to help you until you. If I don't tell it to you, will it bother you? Yes. 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 Say yes. Say yes. I'll be nervous in every relationship. A secret <coughs> that if you know this, it will change all your future relationships. For the good or the bad. Hopefully, for the good. Which is the good to share. You're putting pressure on us now. Now I kind of want to know. Discuss out. I do, I do. You do? I do. And if I, and, if I, and if I tell it to you, will it, will it change you? Depends on what it is. You've got to hear it first. No, maybe. Let's just say yes. you got to hear it first. Yes, of course. Yes? yes. It'll at least make us think. Uh-huh. Whatever is making you more aware of something. We, 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 we. Yes, it's a good one. A very good thought process. That will probably bring up change. So what's the number one secret? Come on. Tell me. Well, we try that. Patience. Patience is good, but no, not number one. Well, apparently we need it though today. Touch. <laughs> no. Self annulment. No. Free access to Royal Bank of Montreal. Yeah, right. Good no. prenup. Two point five carats. Sacrifice? Wanna know? Wait, 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 let's think. Work, ethics, persistence, resiliency. You get that trick question. Sacrifice, no? No trick question? Nope. There is no one thing. But I've already said it. Oh, I'm sure I've heard it before. And I've already said it tonight. In 10 years. Not I love, not you love. What? No. Oh. You I love. No. No. No, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing that something is missing without this person. No. But not number one. It's yes, I did say that, but it's not number one. It is true. I did say if you remember one thing, that's and I'm very happy you remembered it. Thank you very much. We can all go home now. The answer is curiosity. I said curiosity. That's what I said. We said it already. When you're curious, you're interested. When you're curious, you lean forward. When you're curious, you want to know more. And if you want to know more, you generally want to know more about the person you're in a relationship with. That will grow over time. And that curiosity will constantly grow. And I can tell you, I can't tell you about 50 years, I can tell you about 13 years, the curiosity still continues. And you don't have to fake it, and you don't have to pretend like you don't have to hide things. If you're genuinely interested in a person, curiosity grows. That way you don't lay it all on the table in the first place. Yeah. 
you don't have to worry about that because there'll always be new things because we grow as people. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about what you say and what you don't say and leaving more for later. That's all a joke. So that's my number one secret. What? I had a paper here? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Does love actually exist? Yeah, sure. Yes. Um, not the Hollywood kind. Not the kind that's written in magazines. But yes, there is real love. And love um, is a combination of communication and trust. Trust, according to most studies, takes seven years after marriage. There's different levels of trust. 18, 18 months, three years, and seven years. But true trust takes seven years, which means it's not going to be instant. So when you get married, you don't love each other? Uh, no. No, you lust, you, you, you lust each other, and you are interested in each other, and you have, hopefully, the tools to be able to develop a relationship, but you definitely don't love each other. What, you don't love each other? Nobody don't loves each other. other. Whatever they're going to say, it's but not you, true. You care for each other. You, yeah, you care, you concern, you there's an interest, but... <laughs> you like, give me something. <laughs> Here... Here's a great question. This is a great, great question. I keep finding people who are afraid to commit. Is it me or them? This is a very good question. So, whoever wrote this question, I'm sorry if I'm going to offend you. But forgive me now. It's both you and them. It's, first of all, if it's them, then why are you attracted to them? So if you're blaming it on them, then you're the one who's in the relationship with them, so you're attracted to them. Why are you attracted to people who aren't commitment, who aren't committing, who are commitment-phobic? Absolutely. If it's not them, then it must be you. So what are you doing in your life, and why are you commitment-phobic? Generally, it takes two to tango. So people who are afraid, or who are in relationships with people who are afraid to commit are also afraid to commit. Or they're the exact opposite. There's some people who don't allow the relationship to progress. They're, they're, they're pushing it along so fast because, I've heard this before, I'm sorry if I offend anyone. It's, I hate this, I hate this. I get these phone calls. It's a, I don't even know why I'm saying this, but it's confessions of a rabbi matchmaker right here. <laughs> <laughs> this, I get, this is a reality show. <laughs> <laughs> I, get, I get phone calls and you hear a very anxious, very perturbed young woman on the other line. I need to find somebody. I need to find somebody. Please help me. And it comes in different forms and fashions, and sometimes it's nice and sometimes that, but you hear the, the anxiety in it. And I say to them, when was your 30th birthday? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> when did you turn 30? TikTok, TikTok. I don't get it. TikTok, TikTok. Biological clock all of a sudden rushing. It always happens. It always happens around the 30th birthday. I don't know what happens in a woman's mind. I'm not a woman, so I can't tell you, but I can tell you, I no joke, I have gotten this call more than 100 times. Like I said, confessions of a rabbi matchmaker right here. It's right around the 30th birthday. 
right around the 30th birthday, I need to find someone. That anxiety is going to make sure that nobody's going to be interested in you. And anyone... <laughs> it's scary, yeah. That's a and, big, big wow. statement right there. <laughs> I said I'm going to offend somebody tonight. And that... It's a shame I don't have more women in the room, so I feel bad for you guys. Sorry, I, I don't mean it. It's in a bad way. You'll have to forgive me one day. We have Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, I'll get up and I'll ask forgiveness to all the women that I offended when I said that. What? You're going to hold me to it. Absolutely. Please apologize. I will dedicate one of my sermons, this Yom Kippur, to the women that I offended when I said that you cannot tell men that your biological clock is ticking because it's not going to help your cause. Wow. No, I say this, I say this, I say this to women all the time. There's a lot of young women who come to see me and I say it to them all the time. And look, there's a room of men and I think everyone will agree with me that it's not, it's not helping the cause. So, I think that what I always say is important. It's, no, but, no, no. What I always say is very important. You never say the obvious. I had, um, I had a parent. Here, another confessions of... I don't know why I'm talking like this. Whatever. It's a wine. Um, so, a parent came to see me. So, I, I, I get a phone call. and let's, let, I, wait, I'll, I'm going to start offending people tonight. Why not? Yes. <laughs> Look, whoever had to, look, tonight is one of those nights, if you were here, you were here. So, <laughs> um, you know those phone calls, and I'm not, again, I'm, I'm just generalizing, and I'm not offending anyone, but those Moroccan moms. <laughs> well, let's not go to a stereotype. <laughs> we're not stereotypes. But those Moroccan moms. <laughs> Rabbi, I have to come see you now. Well, that's not my mom. <laughs> wait, wait, what is that? Hi, hi. What is this about? I tell you, I can't tell you on the phone. I must come see you. I must come see you, Rabbi. Please, please, I must come see you. Okay, okay, okay. Relax. No, no, I have to see you now. Now, now, now. Moroccans don't relax. It's not like... like I'm shaking on the other line. <laughs> like that whole keep calm thing? We don't do that. So, uh, okay, I'm very busy today. I don't... No, 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 no. You don't understand. I just need two minutes. Two minutes I need. It's very important. You can't tell me on the phone. No, 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 no. I must tell you in person. Is the CIA listening? Like, tell me. <laughs> do you FaceTime? <laughs> So she comes yesterday. I said, okay. I told her I only have 20 minutes. You have to tell Moroccan mom you only have 20 minutes. Because it's going to be an hour. 20 minutes is an hour. And an hour is three hours. So you say, I have 20 minutes. But it's going to be an hour, we know. Anyway, what is this big, insane issue that she must talk to me? And why me? I have no idea. My daughter, she's dating a guy. <clears throat> the world they're in California and they're coming in this week I'm not letting him in my house no daughter of mine is bringing the Goya in my house So this is what I said to her, and this is what I think is very 
said, sir, does your daughter know that you disapprove of her dating a Gentile? Of course! How many years have you been telling your daughter that you disapprove? <laughs> all the time, Rabbi. All the time. Okay, good. So now, she's dating a Gentile. How many times did you tell? All the time. And when she dated this one and that one, you don't know. And I told my sister and I did the brother and that and everyone, the whole family. Everyone's going crazy. Why is she doing this? Okay. So she knows. And you've told her. And everyone's, she's now the talk of the family. And she's still doing it. So that means one of two things. Either she wants to do it. Or she wants to do it because you're her mom. So here's the rule. You never state the obvious. So I say to her, I'm, you ask, you came to me for advice. I'm going to give you my advice. You tell your daughter you can't wait for Billy to come. I don't know his name. Making up his name. You can't wait. You're making the best, best daf that you've ever made. You're going to make... Bullets, and you're going to make salakwit, and it's going to be Shabbat like he never saw before. It's going to be the best night of his whole life. He's going to see how beautiful a family we are. He can even do kiddush. Let's not take it too far. <laughs> no, don't go that far. <laughs> no, 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 I can't do that. He's a good. I said, she knows that. You see what's going to happen by you. If you, what's going to happen by you inviting him in and loving him, she's going to be, you're going to push it on her. It's her thing. She's like, why, why is my mom being so... She knows what you think of him. You don't have to say. You never state the obvious. So I say the same thing to all the women who have their biological clocks ticking. Never state the obvious. Everybody knows that. It's obvious. They know, nobody has to think too hard. They put two and two together. So you don't... Never in anything in your relationships, in anything in life... Never state the obvious. The obvious will always be implied. What you want to do is go counterintuitive to what would be the obvious. Where the guy says to you, why are you so relaxed about the whole thing? You know, because I know things take time and they have to play its course. That's what you want. Because then he's like, okay. Life is okay. Life is balanced. Now, if he's a commitment phobe, then you're in trouble. But you'll figure that out in other ways. But it's really important that, in general, in, in everything in life, you never want to state the obvious. I got a few more questions here. What if I am underlooked, overlooked, or don't exist, unattractive, and I have a mother look or father look? How can I be loved? First of all, whoever wrote this question, I'm very sorry that, you've, that you think that way. Because nobody should ever think that way about themselves. Yeah, sure. Nobody should think they're not attractive because you're not looking to be attractive to the world. You're looking to be attractive to one person. Yeah. And there's somebody for everybody. And you don't have to be attractive to everyone. You have to be attractive to that one. And beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. And you'd be surprised. There's a lot of people who somewhat look unattractive. We're not in high school anymore. This is not a prom queen contest. And um, it's really important 
to, to know that you will be loved by somebody if you allow yourself to be loved by somebody. And they will find you attractive because especially, for, especially love is much more than physical attraction. Much, much more than physical attraction. There's a lot of other elements. I'm not saying you don't have to be physically attracted to the person you're in a relationship with, but it's not the only element. And what's amazing is studies have shown, there's science behind this, that love grows over time and that attraction can also be built up over time throughout a relationship. So they're, they're, you, you can't think the person's repulsive. That's not good. You can't start with repulsive, but you don't have to be 100% uh, attracted to the person when you start off the relationship, the attraction can grow over time. There's studies, there's science behind that. Yeah. Well, there's, 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 lot, there's even, I mean, not, you don't have to use the Bible. There's, there's other, there's, there's more, uh, there's science behind that. Is there differences in that regard between men and women? Like, I heard this um, cliche. If you like, have to generalize, women generally are less interested in physical attraction than men, generally speaking. But yet alone, women do... Women do need to still be physically attracted, but it's not as important as it is for men, yeah. generally speaking. But they still have to be... They, there has to be a certain level of attraction. But it, it doesn't have to but be that, But the whole Tinder thing really hurts women oh, yeah. because for a lot of women, they want to know a lot more than that. They need a picture. They want a package. Like, Tinder for women, I'm serious. I was actually... I actually spoke to the guy who created J-Swipe, and I was telling him that what he should do for the men, they should just see a picture... And for the women, they should have like a little profile next to it, like of who the person is, because that attraction is not good enough just for a picture. And a lot of women are making a lot of mistakes on Jay's wife. As it was, huh? I told them about sex. Yeah. Well, now Jay Date owns it, so it doesn't really matter. Oh, did they? Yeah. David Yaris. Yeah. So, how do we overcome the paralysis of demonizing men and sex? What? That a man is equal to the one sitting in a jail cell. Why should, we, why should men be afraid to be perceived as such? Why should women have this view? So I will, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going to, I'm going to reorient this question. It's a very big issue. It's a great question, and I think that it needs to be addressed. Um, there, Can you reread it? So I want to tell you, women's lib did a lot of good for the world. We're all very happy about it. The world desperately needed it. It gave women equality. It gave women the rights to vote, the right to be professionals, to go to school, and it's an amazing thing. It's done incredible things to the world besides for one part of the world, and that is relationships. It's destroyed relationships, women's lib. And we are seeing now, 40, 50 years later, the ramifications of those destructive relationships. What's happened as a result, not only is it destroyed relationships, but also, in this person's question, it's emasculated men. And we live in a women, a, to a certain extent, a woman-centered world, to a certain extent, to a certain extent. And as a result, men feel an inferiority complex. Often I hear this. A lot of women won't, won't, won't listen to me on it, but I hear this a lot from the men that I counsel that they feel an inferiority complex to a lot of the women. They're afraid to date successful women. Yeah. They're afraid. And it's scary. Like, there's men that will come to me blatantly and say, I don't want to date a successful woman. I'm scared. They're afraid that, out a lot of things. Men, see, there's actually, there's actually, there's actually Judaism, there's Jewish thought behind this. And what Jewish thought says is that Adam was created from dust. And so Adam's greatest fear is to be returned to dust, to be a nothing. So that's why he has to always accomplish. 
That's why he has to go out and he has to have a big house and a big car and this and that. And he just has to say, you know, look, I'm successful. I'm, I'm this and that. Where women, a woman, Eve was created from? From Adam's rib. So a woman's greatest fear is becoming a man. Okay, hold on. There's two women here. Is that your fear? A lot of lesbians that like to become Well, I'm not going into that. But, <laughs> but um, w- w- meaning, meaning not, necessarily be- not necessarily becoming a man, but rather her fear, like his fear, is becoming a nothing. Her fear is becoming too much of a something. Where her need, her need is not a need to accomplish. It's a need to... Um, what's the word? There's a, there's a psychological term for it. It'll come to me. But men have a huge inferiority complex with dating successful women. And successful women have a very... Huh? What are you telling me? It's a great question. You want to put it inside now? I just did. It's in you just read it. I tell them that... Um, well, the first thing is they have to figure out what they want. You can't just come to me and say, I don't want to date a successful woman unless you have a reason that you don't want to date a successful woman. Most of the time, they've been in a relationship with a successful woman and it didn't work out because the woman didn't have enough time for them. Men need to be the center of the woman's universe. And they're little babies. Here, here. I'm a man, I can say this. Oh, I totally agree. They're all, <laughs> they're all little babies. And they need, if, they, if they feel like for any reason their woman is doing anything else that's more important than them, they think that the whole world is going to end. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, automatically there's an inferiority complex when it comes to successful women because probably you're going to be busy with doing something else that's not having to do with them and how is it possible that you can be in a relationship with them and there's something else in the universe that's more important than them. <laughs> and so that's a very big issue that a lot of men face. And we look, if you live in a world and you're going to live in an ever-changing world, then you have to live with the ramifications of that. And it could be that there's a lot of other elements to you and what you're looking for than whether or not the woman is successful or not. So what we want to do is do a personality analysis. We want to do a relationship desire analysis. These are all questionnaires that I have created that I can, uh, that I can do with particular single to be able to help them understand what they're looking for a little better than what they knew before. And it could be that successful woman has nothing to do with it. And just an added bonus or not an added bonus. That's my basic answer. There's a more elaborate answer than that. Last question. Huh? It is what it is, but I know a lot of women have this problem. There's a big problem with this today. I know there's something missing in my life. I just can't find someone who feels the same. Where are these people hiding? On the moon. On Venus. Yeah, exactly. On the Toronto. That's the one I was. So I was just in Toronto. <laughs> and I was and I was doing this whole I was brought in to do this whole series of talks and relationships and somebody asked a very similar question and they all said New York <laughs> no 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 it gets, 
Hold on, hold on, it gets better. I just did a whole event on the Upper West Side of New York. And they have no idea where. <laughs> well, no, nothing else exists out of. They New have York. no idea where because nothing else exists out of New York. No, no, for them it's Boca. Boca, yeah. I want to tell you, there is nothing. There's not. There's no place in the world that I saw Jewish relationship phobic like the Upper West Side of New York. Really? Or Manhattan. Oh my gosh. These people are never getting married. It's like one <laughs> big happy friends family. I'm serious. Yeah. I'm serious. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. It's one big. It's like. It's like. New York is very. A hundred thousand that are all part of an episode of Friends together. <laughs> if you want to, if you want to experience that, like they even have like their central perks and everything. Like season three or season seven. <laughs> Like season, like season one and a half. <laughs> like season seven thousand. <laughs> <laughs> They're all sort of stuck in perpetual repeat. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Uh, I have never, I have never seen anything like that. I was like, people, wake up, you flipping idiots. Did you say that? Yes. Oh. Woo. Yes. And shock, shockingly, they want me back. <laughs> I'm like, you like people who curse you out? <laughs> I, and no, I told them. New York. I, I said, I, I said at, the, at the end of my talk over there, and there was a whole Q&A, and there was, there, it went on for hours. I said to them, I hate you guys. I hate you guys. You guys represent everything that I am trying to fight. So True. where do you think there's the most potential, having been to... Montreal, no. <laughs> I love Montreal. I love Montreal. You know why? We hate the Americans. We hate the Torontonians. So we have no choice but to pick from our own. You are an American. Or we can find a, a mail order from France. Well, that's not so bad. Or England. Oh, we have Carol. Well, no, no, that's it's an inside joke from the Because we have a lot of French what? here. They didn't answer the question. Come through here I didn't answer the question. I'm going to answer the question. We'll go back to the question. <laughs> I know there's something missing in my life. I just can't find someone who feels the same. Where are these people hiding? I'm, this is, I think, a great way to end off tonight's talk. <laughs> there's somebody out there for you. I'm the first one that's told you this, well, I'm sorry. But I will tell you this. I truly believe it. Truly, truly believe it. I've seen incredible, incredible things. There's just two things that you have to do in order to find that person. The person is not missing. It's what you're missing. Mm -hmm. The first thing you have to do is be in a space where you can allow someone into your life. So for a woman, you have to be able to accept and for a man, you have to go out and find. The men must search for the women. A woman who searches for a man, it's going to be much harder for the relationship to be successful. It's not natural. Naturally, the man must search for the woman. And that role has reversed because women, why? Because women by nature are relationship-centered beings. Men by nature are not relationship-centered beings. So the woman by nature is going to want to have the relationship. The man by nature is not going to want to have the relationship. So the man must go find something that he not, does not naturally want. The woman, if she goes to find something that she naturally wants, the person who doesn't want it is not going to be interested. 
I'm generalizing. I'm generalizing. So the first thing is you have to be in a space. And the second thing is I'm going to go a little Kabbalistic on this. I am a rabbi still. Every single person is a vessel. If your vessel is full of junk, there's no space for anybody else. You have to empty your vessel. What does emptying the vessel mean? Well, emptying the vessel can be emotionally, for you just get rid of... There's a lot of people, I'm going to generalize this, but men especially, there's a lot of people who are still in their mind in a relationship with somebody else who they can't get over. And it can go on indefinitely for years and years and years and years. If you, hold on, if you are in a relationship with somebody in your head, do not cheat on them. Do not cheat on them. Do not find somebody else. You won't find somebody else. If you are secretly harboring a relationship because it's comfortable and it's nice and it's cozy and it's just in your head, then you've got to get rid of it, for real. The day you dump that person, I'm saying men because it's generalizing a lot of men do this, so the day you dump that girl, you'll find somebody else. Hmm. So you have to in- intellectually and emotionally get rid of that. And then I would recommend um, there's a couple of spiritual things that you can do, and I spoke about this in some of my previous classes, that you can do to be able to prepare. There's different, in Sephardim, call them sigulot. There's different things that you could do to be able to prepare. Once you have gone through that emotional space and you've gotten rid of all the garbage, now you have an empty vessel. The problem is if you don't fill it with something good, it stays empty. Or fills it bad. Or, of course it doesn't stay empty. It gets filled with garbage. So you want to fill it with something good. So what is that? You want to, you want to take on some kind of... Uh, special uh, mitzvah. So there's a couple special mitzvahs that are very well known that you, that you take on. These are segulot. The number one segula to find someone in your life is you should give money that's above your means to a needy bride. If you don't know of a needy bride that needs money, I'd be very happy to take care of that for you. I know of a number of needy brides. And there's a certain constitution within, within the framework of, Ju- of Judaism what it means a needy bride. And there's different levels of neediness. Orf- an orphan bride is the, is the highest level. And then there's different levels of that. But I currently have about four brides that are in, in need and... You have to give specifically above your means. Like, if it's your nature to give $5, you have to give $6. If it's your nature, if you would generally, I don't know, give a donation of 50 bucks, you have to give $51. To give above your means. And also, you should not only give once, but then you should have a charity box in your house, and you should give in denominations of 18 every single day, 18 cents, whatever, denominations of 18 cents every single day to, again, to needy brides, specifically for, for a needy bride. Something else you can do is you can, um, if you're able to, if you know somebody, you can volunteer to help someone plan a wedding. If you have a friend who's getting married, you can help them plan the wedding. There's, there's a special segula for that, to be involved in 
the, the wedding preparations and planning. Also, um, taking on a mitzvah that is above your means. So if it's something that you, maybe a mitzvah that you know, that um, it's not something that you generally would have done, but you take it and you say to God, I'm taking this on so that I could have. Why? Because we believe in Judaism the greatest thing you can do in your adult life is get married. Now, you need to have a vessel, a spiritual vessel big enough to handle such a huge blessing. It's the greatest blessing you're going to have in your life, maybe aside for children. But the greatest blessing we believe that you're going to have in your life is the blessing of marriage. So, you need a spiritual blessing to hold, you need a spiritual vessel to hold that blessing. So, you need to take on a mitzvah that could handle that level of blessing. Like what? Every person in their own life has their own thing that they. That they can decide, you know, what, where they're holding. If you need ideas and options, you can come to me and I'll give you some ideas and options based on your particular stage of life. And I'll try to be as objective as possible for you. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple other things that you can do, but there's actually, these are called sigulot. They're particular omens that you can do to be able to find the right person. Ou c'est bien aussi quand tu parles de mettre des bougies, surtout dans les yards de Sadekim, des trucs comme ça. Are so you saying that you can you can light a candle, for example? Or you can, like, yeah, 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 there's, yeah, there's certain there's certain things you can light a candle. Yeah, there's a lot of different there's 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 there's, 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 there's hundreds of different. Um, and tonight's uh, a good things. night too, actually. Yeah, tonight's for your side. Yeah. Yeah. But Yosef Yitzchak. Of course. So, um, also something to think about you will attract the person into your life based on your merits, which means depending on what kind of person you are, that's the person you're going to attract. If you're not happy with the person you are, then change the person you are so you attract the person that you want. You have to, based on who you are, you're going to attract the complement of who you are today. If you're not satisfied with who you are today, change. Change. And not four quarters for a dollar. Change, real change. Right? The Buddhist, the Buddhist goes to the hot dog vendor and says, make me one with everything. The Buddhist goes to the hot dog vendor and says, make me one with everything. You don't get that. Let's try this again. Buddhist the Buddhist goes to the hot dog vendor and says, make me one with everything. Oh, got it. Oh. <laughs> so the hot dog vendor says, that'll be 350. So he gives him five bucks. <coughs> He's waiting. He says, where's my change? He says, ah, change must come from within. That's my thought for tonight. It's been fun. We'll do this again. Rabbi, just a question I wanted to ask you yeah. about uh, you said that you need to stop your relationship. 
So what, what if you're like codependent and there's a girl that's like doesn't want to leave you alone? Uh, change, change your number, lock your door, block her on Facebook. Do not take no for an answer. It's done. It's over. Do not give yes as an answer. No contact. Yeah, and worst case, God forbid.